Right, I want to go today and continue with what we have been doing and start in the book of Judges. We're making rapid progress through the Bible here. We're up to Judges now after how many weeks? But uh, here is a very important lesson in chapter 7 of Judges in this thing of fear and God teaching his people all through the history of the people of God. Constantly through the Bible, there is this one lesson that keeps coming back again, over and over and over. Now, perhaps it could get boring to go through these. I don't find it that way personally. I, every time I go forward and read some more of these, to me it's exciting to see what God is doing, to see what He is trying to drive home to us, and hopefully we get the lesson. Hopefully we're prepared when some of the things that are about to happen really start coming down in earnest. Chapter 7 of Judges. Then Jerubbaal, very similar to Zerubbabel, or Bel, of uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah. And I think that that is perhaps an important connection for us to get, that the name is very similar. Jerubbaal, who is Gideon. So he had two names. One by Gideon, perhaps, but God includes the other name, and perhaps that's for our understanding, considering where we're headed now in Zechariah 3 and 4. So all the people who were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, and the host of the Midianites were in the valley and all around, and there were lots and lots of them. The Eternal said to Gideon, The people that are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. So Israel had, as we'll see, 22,000 fighting men available. And God said, this just simply doesn't meet my purposes. I, I can't save you with that many people, because you'll think you did it. It's an interesting way of putting this. God does not want us to take credit for anything that he does. He doesn't want us to get vain or proud. He wants us to recognize his great glory and his great power. Many times it's been said to us, God starts small. Uh, it is quoted in the New Testament, Fear not, little flock, it is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not a big flock, a little flock. A small number of people. That statement may have come partly from this passage. Now therefore, go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, say, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 22,000, and there remained 10,000. Well, there were at least 32,000, and I said 20, 22,000 went home. He says, if any of you are afraid, you know, look down here in this valley and you see... Midianites like grasshoppers down there. If anybody's afraid, go home. Hot diggity dog. 
I'm gone. <laughs> you know, 22,000 picked up their stuff and left. 10,000, yeah, I think I'll stay. The Eternal said to Gideon, the people are yet too many. Had 32,000, we're down to 10. That's way too many. As many, many advice as there are, there might be some here who would say, we're powerful men. We're good warriors. Boy, look at what we did. We ran all those Midianites off. Too many for me, God says. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them for you there. And it shall be that of whom I say to you, this shall go with you, and the same shall go. And those that I say don't go, they don't go. So he brought them down. He said to Gideon, everyone that laps of the water with his tongue as a dog laps, him you shall set by himself. And everyone that bows down on his knees to drink, separate those two categories. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. They stuck their face in the creek and drank. Only 300 picked it up in their hand and drank out of their hand, showing they were more careful, more alert, more watchful, I suppose. Uh, you know, you can look up as you drink. But if you put your head down, uh, that's not being a real good soldier because you can't see what's going on. That has been said of this. I don't know that that is the exact case. But anyway, there are only 300 that lapped it out of their hands. The Eternal said to Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go every man to his place. So he sent out of 32,000 all but 300 home. What was the fear factor among those 300 that was left? Do you think they might have become a little disquieted? Man, alive! How many more is he going to send home? Only 300 left. They were probably looking at each other saying, hmm, I don't know what's going to happen here. All right, let's go on down. So he, he retained those 300, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley, verse, end of verse 8. It came to pass the same night that the Eternal said to him, Rise, get you down unto the host, for I have delivered it into your hand. Go get them, Gideon. I've delivered them into your hand. Now he made some allowance. He says, but if you fear to go down, I'm going to make a certain allowance for your humanity here. He says, my command is, go on down and take them. I'll take care of the problem. But if you are afraid, go on down with Fura, your servant, or Fura, down to the host, and you shall hear what they say. Get down close enough to camp to listen. That's scary enough, isn't it? you got all these Midianites down here, and you're going to slip down there and get close enough to hear what they're saying. And afterward shall your hands be strengthened to go down to the host. So, <laughs> he didn't say charge. He said, Pura, let's go down. So they went down and listened. And these Midianites were, as it says here in 12, like grasshoppers or camels who were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitudes. So many Midianites down there, you just couldn't count them. Even the camels were so many, you couldn't count them. 
When Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream to his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian, came to a tent and smote it, and it fell and turned over, and the tent lay along, uh, fell down. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Said, man, I'm scared of these Israelites. And it was so, <clears throat> when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation that he worshipped, and returned to the host of Israel, and said, Arise, for the Eternal is delivered into your hand the host of Midian. So even at our best, we still fear somewhat. Gideon, being used by God, was not perhaps as fearful as the rest of his army, but even he needed uh, strengthening and empowerment from God. Just as God had told Joshua, Be, a, be strong, be of courage, of good courage, fear not, study my word every day, and you will have good success. We read that last time I spoke. So, even leaders. Moses was timid and somewhat fearful. Have to be augmented by the power of God. Because none of us are above being human. Never have been. But God has his ways. He wanted something done. He wanted everybody to know that it was he who did it. So he, he was encouraged. He said, let's go do it. But he, he prepared. He divided the 300 men, verse 16, into three companies and put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. So he took empty pitchers, lighted candles, put them down inside it so they could not be seen. The flame could not be seen in the light said to them, Look on me and do likewise. And when I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow you the trumpets on every side of the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So, three bands of a hundred. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, middle of the night, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands, and the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow. Now, if you're asleep and you suddenly hear 300 trumpets blowing, that would get your attention. And they cried, The sword of the Eternal and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. Everybody stood right straight up in abject terror. And all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets. And the Eternal set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. They jumped up in sheer terror when they heard the trumpets blow, saw the lights all around them, and it was a dark night. They grabbed their sword and swung it at anybody that they could swing it at. And they all killed each other. Wow. That's incredible. That doesn't happen. God did it. Fear has to be overcome and replaced with trust and faith in God. Now, we've talked about fear, and we should not fear man, but fear God. 
But I want to emphasize this further. Fear is a sin. Fear is something that has to be overcome. God takes no pleasure, as it says in Hebrews, in those who shrink back, but those who move forward to the saving of their soul. I believe it even says in Revelation 22 that among the liars, the thieves, the fornicators, and so on, that the fearful will not be in the kingdom of God, does it not? I believe that's... Or maybe it's not. It does say that somewhere. I'm not sure it's in Revelation 22. Pardon? Uh, cowardly? Same thing, basically. Let me see if I can... My eye will fall on that. Uh, where is it here? For without are dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whoever makes loves and makes a lie. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where I'm quoting from, but I'm quoting the Bible somewhere. The fearful, yes, chapter 21, verse 8. The fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Being fearful, living in fear, God categorizes with lying, idolatry, adultery, murder, and all those sins. Now that puts it in a pretty strong category, doesn't it? Because fear is lack of faith. It is lack of trusting in God to take care of you under all circumstances and fearing what men can do to you. And that is why Christ said, Fear not him which is able to kill the body, but he which is able to kill the body and soul. Fear breaks the first of the Ten Commandments. It breaks the nine that follow that in principle. Because you are putting something, fear of man, ahead of fear of God. Therefore, fear is an idol. It says in Colossians that covetousness is an idol. Anything that is illegal for you, that you covet or, or illegally desire breaks the first commandment because you're putting something ahead of God. Something he says you cannot have, you want, and therefore you're putting your want ahead of God's Word. And fear is in the exact same category. If you are timid, if you are fearful, you must overcome it. Bottom line, it is idolatry, a form of idol worship. It is putting something ahead of God. 
Now, he underlined that lesson here very deeply. He was saying, don't fear Midian, fear me, I can deliver you from Midian. That is the lesson that is being taught. It is recorded for you and for me. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, are some of the things we see in the news today fearful? Are some of the things we read in the Bible about what God is going to do, things that would make us tremble, make us worry, make us fear? Is the job market being like it is, something that makes us fear and worry? That if we keep God's peace, or we keep God's Sabbath, we may lose our job? That is lack of trust, lack of faith in an almighty God who told us to keep his Sabbaths, to keep his feasts, and that if we did, he would take care of us. So, we do not fear, we obey his command, and we come up to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, at his feast, and we don't worry about our job. If we lose our job, which could be a trial and a test of our faith, God will not let us starve to death. If you obey God, you will not starve to death. Plain and simple. I have been in the church for about 55 years now, a little more than that, wow. And in my experience... People kept their second tithe, their third tithe in those years. When they risked their jobs to go to the feast, I have never, ever heard of anyone starving to death after the Feast of Tabernacles. Not one case. People have been told, you go take off and go to the feast, don't come back. You won't have a job. They've been told that many, many times that I've heard stories of over the years. And you may have heard similar things and maybe have even experienced. In many cases, when they came back, they were such good employees, and their employers didn't know it until they left, that they felt the need to have them there and they welcomed them back with open arms, though they had fired them as they went out the door. Putting your trust in God is the way to go. Any other way is idolatry. I'm sorry. That's just the way this is written. It's easy for us to judge adulterers and liars and murderers and sorcerers. But it's easy for us to leave out that God says the fearful are in the same category. Second death and lake of fire all burns about the same no matter what you're thrown in there for. You know, death's the end of the story. He says the righteous are as bold as a lion. How bold is a lion? We do what God says and we trust Him to take care of us. 
I don't think there is any lesson in history or any lesson in the Bible that is more important than what we are just now discussing. Putting God first in our lives no matter what. Trusting Him with our health and our wealth. But He will take care of us. And casting our care upon Him because He cares for us. You don't need to worry. You do not need to live in fear. You need to live in trust and in faith. You girls, for the most part, would not marry a man that you did not feel secure in. Women are very concerned about security when it comes time to marry. You want a man who can provide for you, take care of you, keep you from danger, that you can entrust your life and your care to? You tell her. I see a guy whispering in his wife's ear here. I don't know what he's saying. But you want to feel secure. Security is big for women. Cute's one thing, but do you have a job? Do you have a house? You know? If they got any brains at all, those things kind of come above how cute somebody is. Some have no brains at all, I understand that, but I'm talking in generalities here. Now, are you going to marry Christ and not trust Him? Not feel secure in His love and that He has the capacity to take care of you? That He loves you? That you're part of His bride to be? Are you going to marry Him? I'll tell you what. If you don't trust Him and you don't believe in Him and you don't feel secure in His arms, He's not going to marry you. He's going to throw you in the lake of fire. Trust has to go both ways. You have to trust Him and respond to Him. Then He will trust you enough to put your, His children in your charge to rear them properly. That's what it all boils down to. This is a huge lesson here. Huge. All right, let's go to 1 Samuel 12. Uh, I don't want to pick up the whole context here, but Samuel was concerned. Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I've hearkened to your voice and all that you said to me, and have made a king over you. And that king walks before you, and he said, I'm getting old and gray, and I'm about to die. And things have not gone well, and you people have not responded in the way that you should have to God. You weren't happy to have him as your king, so you asked for a physical king. He gave you one, and I anointed him, and things haven't gone too well, have they? You didn't trust God. You feared. You wanted a king like the Gentiles around you had. Verse 6, And Samuel said to the people, It is the Eternal that advanced Moses and Aaron that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. 
Now therefore, stand still. Remember how Moses had said, stand still and see the deliverance of the eternal? Don't fear, stand still, and God will deliver you, the Red Sea. And he's reminding them of that. So he's telling them the same thing. Stand still, that I may reason with you before the eternal of all the righteous acts of the eternal, which he did to you and to your fathers. Listen, he says, to history. And we, today, here, need to be listening to history, because we are standing at the edge of a Red Sea, and we're going to see the world pounding down upon us pretty soon. Verse 14, let's skip down. Uh, well, let's back in verse 11. The eternal sent Zerubbabel, or Gideon. So he brings up the account that we just read. It was a powerful <laughs> historical example that Samuel saw fit to bring forward and remind them of. And we just went there. Let's go on down in verse 14. Here... He says, if you will fear the eternal and serve him and obey his voice, good advice, and not rebel against the commandment of the eternal. We rebel against the command of the eternal when there's anything that he tells us to do that we waffle on because we're afraid of what might happen. That is rebellion. Any disobedience to God is a human reaction and a rebellion against what he's telling us to do. Every one of us desires to do things that are wrong. Every one of us has things go through his mind that are things that are wrong for us to think or do. And that is our human nature rebelling against God's Word. And rebellion is in every one of us. I started to say, I don't know about you, but my mind will rebel against something of God, I think, every day, if not many times a day. But I can speak for you, because you're just like me. Maybe not as bad, but you're human. And your mind rebels against prayer, it rebels against study, it rebels against loving your neighbors yourself. It rebels against giving, serving others. It wants to be selfish. It wants to take me first. That's in every one of us, and it has to be fought. So fear God, serve Him and obey His voice, and don't rebel. Then shall both you and also the King that reigns over you continue following the eternal your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Eternal, but rebel against the commandment of the Eternal, then shall the hand of the Eternal be against you, as it was against your fathers. Now, therefore, considering this, stand and see this great thing which the Eternal will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call to the Eternal, and he shall send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the eternal, and asking you again. 
When you're doing the wheat harvest, you don't want thunder and rain. Rain will ruin your crop and rot the crop. But Samuel had a severe lesson he wanted these people to learn. But you're not listening. You made a command, you made a covenant with God and you're not keeping it. So this is wheat harvest today. And you're going to get thunder and rain. So Samuel called the Eternal, and the Eternal sent thunder and rain. And all the people greatly feared the Eternal and Samuel. God has used some pretty strong circumstances to teach people to fear Him. And that is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Eternal is the beginning of wisdom. You start really fearing God and what He says, and do that instead of what you want to do, and you're beginning to get it, beginning to penetrate, you're beginning to understand. Fear is not, fear of God is not the end all be all, maybe, of wisdom, but it's certainly the first step for being a wise man or woman. Verse 20, And Samuel said to the people, Fear not, you have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Eternal, but serve the Eternal with all your heart. And turn you not aside, for then you should go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. To say the same thing of physical things today in our material world. But there again, like all people in all ages, we are materialistic. And I think that we are probably more materialistic, if that's possible, than other peoples before us. And therefore, it is very hard for us to divorce ourselves from all the materiality that we have seen and want and have and put God first. Because we like stuff. And that's what this land is full of. For the Eternal will not forsake His people for His great namesake. Now, I could say the same here, couldn't I? We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have feared that which is not to be feared. We've broken His laws, and yet God is merciful and will forgive if we turn to Him and put Him first. God's mercy endures forever. Verse 23, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Eternal in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Eternal and serve Him in truth with all your heart. Or consider how great things He has done for you. Now, He hasn't parted the Red Sea yet for us, has He? He says He'll do greater than that in Jeremiah 31 and other places. But He's called us out of this world. He's taught us His truth. He's taught us a way to escape what is coming on this whole earth. What a great thing that is. You don't think like you used to think. You used to think like these people out in the world think. Now you're converted. Now you understand. 
Don't think like the world. They say peace and safety. Everything's going to be all right. All these things aren't going to happen. God says they are going to happen. That's who says it. Don't listen to anybody that tells you anything different. Do we believe the Word of God or the Word of man? What does He tell us in the end time in the prophecies? Turn to God with our whole heart. That's what Samuel was telling these people. It's the same old story wherever you go. Whatever generation, it never changed. People put other things, other fears, other needs ahead of God. What's that Protestant song about... Tell me the old, old story. Something like that, I, I forget. Sang at the Methodist Church when I was six years old. Well, the old, old story is man never trusted God. Man always got in trouble. Israel always got cursed. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17. I'll give one more example and we'll quit. 1 Samuel 17. Now, the Philistines were gathered. I'm not going to read much of this. You know the story. But they were arrayed against the armies of Israel. And instead of just every man fighting, they thought, here's a clever way to win this war. We're going to send out one soldier against the armies of Israel and tell them to put up any soldier you've got against it. Now, this one fellow happened to be about nine feet tall, named Goliath. So he went out there and taunted the armies of the God of Israel for 40 days, day after day. And they stood back in fear and worry and concern. We can't fight this Philistine. Now, these were Israelites, the army of God. Why didn't they trust God? But they didn't. Anyway, little David was too small to be there. He had three brothers that were there with the army fighting against the Philistines. And his dad told him, go up and check your brothers, see how they are, take them some food and take them some stuff for their company commander and uh, give me a report on how your brothers are doing. So David goes tunneling across and his own brother got all over him and said, what are you doing here? You just came to watch the fighting, didn't you? You want to stand back and see the fighting because you're a punk and you can't fight anyway. You're too young, too small. So he faced sarcasm from his brother before he ever got there. And then he sees this giant come out and defy the armies of the living God. And he said, this can't be. Crying out loud, I'll fight him. He said, didn't the bear come in among the sheep, and I killed him? And didn't the lion come in among the sheep, and I killed the lion? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he stands against the army of the living God? I'll fight him. So they took him to Saul, and Saul said, who are you, kid? He was ruddy. He was very white, but he had a, a ruddy complexion, pink cheeks. A little girly looking, I guess, in some ways. That way only. That he was tough. 
He'd been out following the sheep. But Satan, Saul said, well, nobody else would go. I've been trying to find a volunteer for 40 days. Saul wouldn't go. He stood head and shoulders above the rest of the, Philist- the, rest of the Israelites. He was the biggest boy around. He wasn't going to go out there. And he couldn't find anybody else that would. So David said, I'll go. Saul says, all right, put on some armor. They put the helmet on his head and it fell down over his face. They put a breastplate on him and he couldn't move his arms. It was so big. He's just a little guy. Take heart, Barbara. Anyway... He took all that off and said, I'm not used to that. I haven't tried it. I don't know how to use it. So he took his slingshot and went down the river and found five little round rocks. And he went out. And Goliath just said, "Ah, (laughs) Little boy, what are you doing out here? You've come up against me? I'll feed you to the buzzards or something like that. And David challenged him. You're standing up against God, not little me. And he took the rock and threw it and hit the guy in the forehead and he fell down. Ran over there real quick in case he was just stunned and took the guy's great big sword and cut his head off. Then he grabbed his head and they took him to Saul. Here he's wagging around Goliath's head. That thing must have been huge, the guy nine feet tall. Maybe he wasn't wagging around like that. Maybe he's dragging it behind him. I don't know. But he took the man's head to Saul. God wants you to be like David. I don't know that you'll have to wag any heads around. That might spook some of you. But he wants you to have the courage, the faith, the trust in God. That whatever comes against you, God is on your side and God will take care of you. He does not want you to fear man. Now, if anybody was going to fear, it was going to have been somebody standing in the shadow of Goliath. None of you have ever seen a nine-foot man with a sword who had a mind to chop your head off. But all Israel saw it and all Israel feared greatly. And one little fellow had stayed out among the sheep and looked at the stars at night and prayed to God and had a relationship with God and had come God to know God well enough and to know history well enough that God had delivered Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all those other people before him. And he believed in that God. And he wrote a lot of psalms about that God. He was close to God. And when he saw an injustice and he saw fear, he called on his relationship, his trust, his belief, And a God who had helped him kill a bear and kill a lion all by his lonesome, probably in the dark. Because that's usually when they come in. And he said, who can stand 
before God. Goliath can't, but I will. And God delivered it. And He delivered all Israel through that. God does things in small ways. He gave Gideon 300 men to cry out loud. He only gave David one. Bigger deal. Fear God. Do not put anything ahead of God. Don't fear anything more than you fear God. Because it is an idol, and the fearful will be in the lake of fire. Overcome fear. We all have it. Let's overcome it and be in the kingdom of God.